Wild Lives by Phonographic. Hey, I'm Rochelle, and welcome to Wild Lives by Phonographic. Today, we're speaking to the legendary Dr. Jane Goodall. It's kind of impossible to describe the impact that Dr. Jane has had on the world. Her decades of chimpanzee research and tireless work as a communicator have changed the way we think about wildlife and ourselves as a result. She's received countless awards, accolades and honours, including being named Dame Commander of the Order of the British Empire in 2003, as well as UN Messenger of Peace, and that's a title she's held for 15 years and counting. Today, Dr. Jane is 85 years young, but she still spends most of the year travelling the world, sharing her experiences and inspiring us. Luckily for us, today she's taking time out to chat to wildlives. But before we start talking to Dr. Jane, let's take a quick look at her journey. Jane grew up modestly in the remote English countryside during the war, but her love of animals was clear from a young age as she worked hard to save money to buy second-hand books about Tarzan. These fueled her dreams to live among the wild animals of Africa. When Jane was a young woman, a friend of hers in England invited her to visit her in Africa. So the young animal lover worked as a waitress and secretary to save up for the epic boat journey there. It was during this adventure that she met legendary archaeologist Dr. Lewis Leakey, who was studying human natural history. Seeing Jane's potential with animals, he invited her to study chimpanzees at Gombe National Park in Tanzania. So, in 1960, at the age of 26, she grabbed her binoculars and notebook and hiked into the forests of Africa. It was the beginning of a lifelong adventure with wild chimpanzees. During her time in Gombe, Dr. Jane spent her days observing chimp behaviours and recording things like their relationships and social interactions, as well as their emotions, habits and personalities. No one had ever studied chimpanzees in this way before, and Dr. Jane's research was groundbreaking, particularly her discovery that chimps can make and use tools. She learned this when she observed a male chimp, David Greybeard, using a twig to pull termites from a mound. This was a game-changing discovery, and as a result, Dr. Jane is widely known as the woman who redefined man. And for his part, Time magazine named David one of the 15 most influential animals that ever lived, owing to the incredible impact he had on Dr. Jane and her research. Hi, Dr. Jane. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Now, first up, I want to talk about David Greybeard because that was a very special relationship that you had. He was the first wild chimp you really bonded with. How did that relationship actually unfold for you guys? Well, when I first got to Gombe, um, you know, I had money for just six months. And the biggest problem was that chimpanzees are very conservative. Mm. They'd never seen anything like me and they ran away. And then gradually... David Greybeard, he was very distinctive, beautiful white beard. And for some reason, he lost his fear before the others. And so it was David Greybeard who was the first one to demonstrate to me that chimpanzees can use and make tools. And this was in the context of fishing for termites from their nests. And so then one day I heard from my cook, you know, I used to climb up into the mountains every morning before daybreak. And I heard from my cook that a chimpanzee had come into camp and stolen some bananas. And he came into camp, it turned out to be David Greybeard, but I didn't know that at the time. 
he came because a palm tree was broken, and chimps love palm nuts. And so I he came the second day, and then I decided well, I'd better wait and see if he comes again. And he did. And it was David Graybeard. And he took these bananas, and then one day he actually took a banana from my hand. And it was, you know, it was, it was an extraordinary moment. I think I've actually seen an image of that. I don't know if that was the very exact moment of the first banana being handed to you, but it's an extraordinary thing, and I can only imagine how that must have felt. Yeah, it was amazing. It was definitely one of the very first times it was taken by my African cook. Mm. From all your decades working with animals, what's the number one lesson that you've learned about animals themselves? Well, that animals have... I learned this from my dog when I was a child. They have personalities. Uh, they have minds capable of solving problems. At least many of them do. And um, most important of all, they have emotions, happiness, sadness, fear. They feel pain. They show grief. And, you know, these are things which I was subsequently told when I had to go and get a degree that were unique to humans. But my dog had already taught me that wasn't true. What about, what have animals taught you about people and the way that, you know, through engaging with animals, how that affects humans? Well, first of all, uh, the more you know about animals, the more you realise how arrogant we've been and the more you realise um, because of what we know that they're sentient, sapient beings, the way we treat them is shocking and horrible. And, you know, people seem to think that because animals are bred for food that they don't have personalities and emotions, and that's simply not true. And so I think, you know, the more we learn about them, hopefully the better we'll treat them and we'll learn to be a little less arrogant because we have believed wrongly about animals for so long. Mm. Science, science has anyway. Today, animals, chimpanzees especially, face enormous challenges. In 1900, there were a million chimps in the world. Today, there are as few as 170,000. I think it's, sorry, but it's more like at one time there were probably about 2 million oh. based on the extent of the forest. And today... It's probably around 300,000. Okay. I guess the point, though, is that animals seem to be in a race against extinction. Where are we as humans going wrong? Oh, we've gone wrong in every possible way. Uh, we've been greedy. We, are, you know, today anyway, economic interest becomes uh, economic development, always um, wins over trying to protect the environment. So forests are cut down and the ocean has been polluted, and we're destroying environment after environment, and it's partly due to poverty, because if you're really poor, you cut down the last trees to try and grow food to feed your family. It's to do with the unsustainable lifestyle of the rest of us. Don't we all have more than we need? <laughs> I do, I know. Mm. And then there's human population growth. Uh, which is something we have to think about. We can't stick it under the carpet. And in some places, the demand on nature, natural resources, has been so great mm. that um, nature can't replenish it quick enough. You know, So we're actually destroying our children's future. 
as an animal lover, knowing exactly where to start to solve the problem that can be just overwhelming. What's your best advice for somebody who does actually want to take action to to make a change? Well, first of all, you're absolutely right. If you start thinking about global problems, you get overwhelmed. And so I think it's wrong to talk about think globally, act locally. It needs to be the other way around. And so when I started our program for young people uh, in 1991, the main message was that every single one of us makes some impact on the planet every day. And although if I make the right choices and it's just me, it wouldn't make any difference. But as you get hundreds and thousands and millions, hopefully eventually billions of people making ethical choices, what they buy, what they eat, what they wear, how did it harm the environment? Did it lead to cruelty to animals? Is it cheap because of child slave labor? You know, if we start thinking that way and making ethical choices, we start moving towards a better future. And if we carry on with business as usual, it's going to be too late. You actually started up the Jane Goodall Institute in 1977, and that was to continue your research for chimp habitats. Of all the stuff that you've done with the Institute, what are you most proud of? Well, I think it's hard to say, really. I mean, first of all, the understanding of chimpanzees has helped us to realise that we're not that different from other animals. The difference is one of... of um, degree and not of kind, as first was thought. Secondly, uh, to preserve the chimps, you need to conserve the forest. And if you do that, you're helping hundreds of other species as well because the forest is so rich in biodiversity. And uh, when I first learned in 1986 at the speed with which chimpanzee numbers were dropping and forests were being cut down, and I went to Africa to learn more about the chimps' problems, but I learned about the human problems, the people living in abject poverty. And, you know, when I flew over Gombe, where I've been doing the research, it was once part of this huge equatorial forest belt stretching right across equatorial Africa. And by 1990, I flew over a tiny island of forest that was Gombe, surrounded by completely bare hills, people struggling to survive. And that's when it hit me. If we don't help the people to improve their lives, there's no way we can help start to save the chimps. Hmm. So that began our Take Care of Takari program in 1994, which is now in seven different African countries, helping to save the forest and therefore the chimps and other creatures. And then, you know, Realizing that that if we're not educating new generations to be better stewards than us, there's no point in all this hard work and fundraising to improve the lives of the people. So that's when Roots and Shoots began. In 1991, Dr. Jane founded the Roots and Shoots program to inspire young people to make a difference to the world around them and not rely on others and to be compassionate leaders. Today, there are Roots and Shoots programs in more than 100 countries, all actively teaching young people how they can make the world a better place for people, animals and the environment. Roots and Shoots, as you just mentioned, it's all over the world now and it's so successful with young people. 
Why do you think it is resonating with young people so much? First, first of all, because um, we don't dictate to them. Um, they get to choose, but they have to choose three projects. One to help people, one to help animals, one to help the environment, because it's become so clear that all of these problems are interconnected. So they get to choose what they're passionate about, and therefore they they enter into this with a lot of enthusiasm. And, you know, so it is the only program that combines animals, people, environment, and all ages from kindergarten through university. Last question. How do you want to be remembered? Well, I want to be remembered as, as somebody, you know, I mean, what I'm doing mostly now is giving people hope because there's so much doom and gloom. And so what I concentrate on is sharing the stories about the incredible people I meet all over the world who are doing so much for the environment, animals, and the future. And the incredible, you know, resilience of nature, places we've absolutely destroyed. If we give them a chance, they can once again become beautiful and support animals and, you know, plants and so forth. So it's only when people realize that we do have a window of time when with our individual efforts we can make a difference. You know, that's, if people don't have hope, why bother? I mean, I'll eat, drink and be merry. Tomorrow we die. What's the point of bothering? So giving people hope, I think, is one of the most important things that at this juncture in time I can do. But what do I want to be remembered by? Uh, helping people understand that animals are sentient and sapient and initiating roots and shoots. It's the same sort of thing, giving people hope. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Jane. Thank you very much and thank you for giving me the chance to share a very important message. Bye. What an absolute legend. It just blows my mind how one person can make such an impact on the world. Dr. Jane's Roots and Shoots project is a global phenomenon and there's probably a branch near you. To get started though, do check out the Australian website, which is www.rootsandshoots.org.au. I'll also post all their social media accounts, etc. up on the phonographic.com website. And before I go, I just quickly wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the Wildlife's podcast. This is a wrap for season two. I'll be back in 2020 with season three because every single wildlife story is important. See ya. Wildlives by Phornographic. Check out our wildlife photo gallery at phornographic.com and on Instagram at phornographic. Thank mm-hmm. you.